Also glad to see Brother Charlie up here playing. We've asked him to join the band over here, start playing guitar. Today was his first day, but man, I'm excited about it. I hope you'll continue to do it. And, uh, and if some of y'all have musical talent and you're hiding it, shame on you. Shame on you. Get up here. If you play, I don't care what you play, man. If you play a trumpet a, or whatever, if you play the spoons, I don't know, we'll work it in. But get on up here and just play and have a good time and and you can't have enough instruments. I love to hear people using their talents for God. All right, go to Psalms 11 again one more time. We've already read the verse. I'm going to say a quick word about it and then give you some things that are practical. This has been a very practical time. I, I haven't been preaching in the dynamic way that evangelistic preaching normally is. It's been a little bit more of the listen to me on purpose kind of thing where I have done my best to just try to teach like I would more on a Sunday night slowing down and just giving you some things, even encouraging you to take notes and things that we don't normally do as much on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I'm usually trying to talk to your heart, whereas Sunday night, Wednesday night, trying to, you know, teach. And, uh, but if you want to take notes with me, go ahead. We're going to give you some points that I think will be helpful as we're just giving you a reminder. You know, when you're talking about the home, here's the problem. You never really say much that people say, wow, I never knew that. You don't really say a lot of things where a light goes off and they're like, well, you know, I never thought of that before. You know, it, everything you're saying, you get the feeling that everybody's heard it before or just kind of common sense tells them to do it. Yet, we know statistically it's going undone. Now, sometimes you can see where the problem is just purely ignorance. Sometimes the problem is apathy. People just don't care enough to do anything about it. And, and, and sometimes you wonder when it comes to the home, which is which? Is, which? Is, it, is it the home in so much trouble today because people are just ignorant and what to do, or is it that people have a lot of apathy when they approach marriage, they just don't seem to care as much as they should about the condition of their home or their, their family? any case, I don't know, but I know this. I'm removing one of those two things from the equation by teaching to you. It can't be ignorance. Now, like I said, a lot of times I'll say things, and I, I kind of get the read from the audience. This is stuff we've heard before, or it's something I already knew. There's very few things you can talk about in this that are going to be this huge light going off where everybody's kind of like, wow, I never thought of that. Here's the reality. Where the failure is in most of the case, it's not being put into practice. That's why I like practical preaching. Practical preaching is giving you things that you can put into practice in your day-to-day -day life. It's one thing to just sit and hear a message or a lesson. You've got to take it out and put it to work. You've got to execute that knowledge that you have been given, and I believe therein lies the problem. There's a lot of people, if you even sit with them in marriage counseling, one of the frustrations is they already know all this stuff. Kind of common sense. But the reality is many of them are failing in their relationships. They're not practicing these things. So I want to encourage you as you listen to me this morning, don't just sit there and tune it out. Don't sit there and say, well, that's, that's simple. I, you know, everybody knows that. Here's the big question. You know it, but are you doing it? You know it, but are you practicing it? Is this the way your home is operating? So look at it from that light, and it might be more of a help to you. Now, Psalms 11, verse 3 simply states this. It asks a question. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We know that the key element to every building is the foundation. If the foundation is not laid properly... That building will not withstand. Jesus, the great master teacher, told us that a wise man builds his house on a what? A rock. That rock is a solid foundation. The Bible says when the storms of life come and the wind beats against it, 
it does not fall. But the Bible says in the same verse, Jesus said, a foolish man will build his house on sand. Sand is unstable. Sand shifts. You can build a sand castle. Who's ever built a sand castle? All of us Floridians, man, we have built beautiful sand castles. I'm going to tell you what, I have seen sand castles on the beach that were awe-inspiring, where people spent hours building those sand castles right there on the side of the beach. And you'll walk by and see it, and you know, man, somebody spent a lot of time building that. Ornate. You can come back to that same beach in a week, and there'll be zero evidence that that castle was ever there. That sand can take a form, and it changes, and it doesn't stay, and it's not solid. Well, I would say that a lot of people are trying to build their home on this shifting, unstable sand as a foundation. And of course, anything that you build your home on other than this book is going to be sand. You build it on secular psychiatry, sand. You build it on the advice of your hairdresser who's been married seven times, dirty sand. Amen? That's Pensacola sand right there, amen? Maybe it's got a little Exxon oil mixed in there with it. I don't know. Hey, all I'm trying to say is, is that we got to get back to the book as the foundation of our home, doing it God's way. Listen, you get into politics and build your home based on current political views of the home, sand. You know, a lot of these people pushing this current political view of the home are people from the Hollywood crowd people from the media crowd. Now, all I want to tell you is this. Just study their marriages. Study their homes. Study their children. Take your favorite movie star. You know, the, the old joke, Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband, don't worry, I won't keep you very long. These are the people who have been preaching to us all their morals and values and the way the world ought to run. Really, are they the best models for us to look at? I mean, in Hollywood, if a marriage lasts one year, everybody gets in line to try to ask them, what is your secret? And yet, these are the people that often we're allowing to shape our view of what a home should be, how a home should run, how children should be raised. A lot of people are raising their children according to sitcoms. Listen, I'm going to give you a little secret, you know. Married with children may not be the best role model to raise your kids by. The Simpsons may not be the best model to raise your kids with, amen? Hey, and I don't know what's current today, modern family or whatever. Hey, listen, we need to get back to the rock. We need to get back to the word of God. We can build a wonderful foundation for our home if we will do it God's way. However, this is not a good day for the home. Satan has sought and succeeded in destroying the foundation of the home in America. There can be no doubt that this is one of the foundations that he has purposefully sought to destroy. Who's with me on that? Say amen. When I think about the foundations that the devil wants to destroy, now the question here is a fair question. If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If there is nothing solid to stand on, what can people who want to do right do? What can we do when there's no right anymore? Everybody's wanting to say, well, there is no absolute right. Well, listen, what's right for you may not be right for me, and what's right for him may not be right for either one of us. And the Bible says that, that in, in the book of Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes, and you know what ensued? Chaos. God gave us an absolute book of right. 
Now, when people say, well, you know, the Bible may be right for you, but it's not right for me. No, the Bible is right for everybody. Those not doing what God says are just living wrongly. You say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. I know. I'm just that way. Just that way. I just believe that God's way is the best way. It's not the only way. It just happens to be the right way. I mean, you can take a math test, and when it says 2 plus 2 equals, you can put anything there. You can put 5. You can put 9. You could write 7. Like, listen, man, let's just get crazy here. You could write 11 down there. Two numbers. There's a lot of numbers you can put there. And you could say, well, I'm not going to be so narrow-minded that I'm just going to think there's one answer to that. The answer is whatever I want it to be. And then hand that in to your teacher, and you're going to get a big old red X handed back to you. Because it is narrow-minded. There is right and there is wrong. And there are some things, you can put whatever you want down, but there's one right answer. Everything else is going to lead to a wrong answer. Now, we've got to establish this. You can go ahead and get the latest book that's at, at the bookstore on child-rearing or marriage, and a lot of, of psycho babble. And the thing of it is, we'll try to find anything to get us around doing the right thing. We're always trying to find a way to have victory without sacrifice, success without cost. We want to have, you know, we want to reap without making an investment. Have a crop without having to break the ground and put in seed. You get the point? That's why society is in trouble. Sometimes it takes sweat to have the sweet, amen? Now notice this. We've seen the devil attack the foundation. I believe there's three foundations the devil has sought to destroy with every energy he's got. I believe he wants to attack the sanctity of the Word of God, first and foremost. The foundation of the Word of God he wants to destroy. How does he do that? He just simply gets you to put a question mark where God has put a period. Same thing he did to Eve. He attacked the Word of God with Eve, and he won. He was successful. And, and if you're not careful, he can be successful to you. Well, I know the Bible says this... But is that really what it means? And he gets you to just start questioning things. The devil's been a master of inserting questions that gender strifes and just get you to doubt God and, to, and he gets you to get confused. And the Bible tells us how Satan will actually use the Bible in a way to try to confuse the person of Christ. How does he do that? He just tries to give it out of context. He misquotes it. He misrepresents it. And he puts a lot of ifs there. He tried it with Jesus. Remember when he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? He came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, turn this stone into bread and feed yourself because you're hungry. You haven't eaten in 40 days. You know what? The devil knew full well who Jesus was. And by the way, Jesus knew who he was. Just in the chapter before, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. When he came out of the water, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God lightened upon him like a dove. And then there was a voice from the heavens that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Yeah, the devil knew who Jesus was. Jesus knew who he was. But the devil, that's one of his tactics. He knew that Jesus was the Son of God, but he was trying to get in there and get him shook up. Maybe I'm just not who I think I am. Maybe I'm just not what I thought I was. We laugh, but how many of you have ever had the devil come to you that way? I just don't know if church is going to be what I thought it was going to be. 
I just don't think Christians are what I thought they were. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is the voice of a satanic spirit that's trying to put question marks, getting you to destroy a foundation in your life. You start questioning this book, man, the devil is already winning victories there. The foundation of the Bible, he attacks it. He also attacks the foundation of the house of God. All over the place, people are now questioning, do I really need church? Do I have to go to church? Is church that important? Sadly, a lot of Christians have concluded church is not important. Listen to me, beloved. The church is the bride of Jesus. It is so important to Jesus that the Bible says that he gave himself for it. This ecclesia, this called out assembly. We're all commanded of God to be a part of a church assembly. And yet the devil has gotten many Christians to question. Do I need a church? Yeah, you need a church. You need to be in church. And your church needs you, by the way. Amen? Amen. It's a good relationship. Jesus loves the church. By the way, you ever notice how it offends you when people speak ill of something or someone you love? You ever notice that? Am I right? I mean, Miss Terrell, if I got with you and started really bad mouthing Angelica, now I know you love me, I'm your pastor, you have for many years, uh, you've been a good friend, but that would probably be a very uncomfortable conversation. You might would be courteous and listen a minute, but after a few moments, you'd become defensive. If I continued, you'd probably become a separated person. You'd probably get away from me. You'd, you'd separate away. You'd say, listen, I got to go. It's not what you want to hear, is it? I don't know. You might start saying amen, yes, unless she needs to hear this. Let me go get her. Well, the reality is, is nobody likes to hear people badmouth people they love. I wonder how Jesus feels when the average Christian badmouths his bride that he loves so much that he literally gave his life for. He even told us men, he said, guys, let me give you an example of how you ought to love your wife. I want you to love your wife the way I love the church. How many of you can look at that and say, Jesus is trying to say to us, the church is important. But the devil has destroyed the foundation of the church. Countless Christians today are going unchurched. It's not made Christianity better. Jesus gave us the church for a reason. And that third foundation that the devil has definitely sought to destroy with great success has been the home. The devil hates the home. He wants to destroy the home with everything he's got. And by destroying the home, Satan has brought, number one, a collapse in the local church as solid families are becoming very rare. Churches are not stronger now that the homes are collapsing all around the church. There was a time when you would see a man and a wife and their kids and they'd come to Sunday school together and they'd go to church together and there was a spiritual center in their home. But as homes have began to collapse, you're seeing less and less families attending church together and the church work and the, the function of the church has suffered. And he's, he's made an attack on the church by getting to the home. We see a world of immorality and confusion that has sprung up from it. We are seeing homes that are fatherless and a deterioration in the next generation from the examples set before them. We can clearly see that there is an attack on the virtues of the Word of God and the morals that should guide every home and every person in an order that God gave many through marriage. Satan hates marriage. Let me give you two reasons why Satan hates marriage. You ready for this? Reason number one, because God designed it for man's good. 
when God was looking at his creation, he said, it is good. And it was good in the fact that it functioned the way he designed it. It was good in the fact that it had a purpose. It was good in the fact that it did what God had in mind for it to do. He comes along, and after all of his creation, the first time he says it is not good was when he looked at Adam. And he saw that Adam was alone. Everything in creation had a, a help me. It had a, had a mate except Adam. Adam was there by himself. Now, God had created Adam to be a companion for himself, but God saw that this is not good. This is incomplete. So God then created for Adam a wife. And he did it for Adam's good. He wanted man to be happy. Well, you know, the devil doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be happy because, listen, a happy person starts praising God. You ever see people when they're happy, even non-say people, something good happens? Even non-say people will go, thank God! The devil doesn't want you to have anything to thank God for. No, he wants to convince you that God is not good to you, that God has no happy desire towards you, and that God is mean and angry and selfish. Well, God designed marriage for man's good. He said it is not good for man to be alone, and it was God's solution for man's loneliness. And the devil hates that. Number two, let me give you a second reason. The devil loves disorder and confusion. He loves it. I've said it a million times. I think I said it last Sunday. I'm going to say it again, though. Christ constructs. What's the next part? The devil destructs. Man, I have pounded that into y'all's head. When your life is falling apart, I want you to remember to put it in the right category. It's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. The devil causes construction. I mean, I'm sorry, destruction in your life. Christ brings construction. The devil loves disorder. He loves confusion. And destruction of the home brings both to society. It brings disorder. It brings confusion. A messed up and disorganized world makes it a lot better for the devil to interject his questions and his misleadings. Listen to me, the home had an order that God gave to it. It requires two components that God created. One component lies in the anatomy of a man. The other component lies in the anatomy of a lady. God required those two components for a child to be born. We call that the act of marriage. It's even referred to as making love. You know, children ought to be the fruit of love. They ought to be the fruit of love. And God gave an order for this thing. And he requires there to be a man and a woman for there to be a child. And those components uniquely come from a man, and they uniquely come from a woman. Now, you can go into a lab and create test tube babies and all that, but the origin of those components comes from a male and a female. Somebody say amen. You cannot take the components of two men, put it in a test tube, and create a baby. Doesn't happen that way. God required this for a reason. Because it is a partnership to raise a child. And God intended for there to be a home. Now listen, I, I realize the culture we live in today, and people always want to come up to me and throw up the common culture when you preach on these topics. Listen to me, I want to say this, and I'm not trying to be angry or smart aleck or even sarcastic, but I'm not interested in common culture. I'm interested in building a home that's christ culture. 
And listen, when you got saved, you were supposed to forsake the world and live and walk in the image of Christ. Therefore, it's important for you, if you're going to have a home, to figure out how, what kind of home does Christ want me to have. Not what is average, not what is normal by today's standards. Now listen, some of you have already been through the sting of a divorce, and I want you to know that God loves you, and there's nobody judging you. Nobody is judging you at all. And listen, my heart goes out. We've got a lot of single parents in our church, and I know they're doing the best they can to raise their kids and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But for some of you that still have marriage ahead of you, listen to me. It is God's plan that when you marry, have a mate, and that mate is your teammate, and she or he is there to help you fulfill the functions of that home. Can I get a witness on that? There's no doubt that a home will run better if the components are there. Now listen, we're living in the day of the fatherless child. I've pastored in Pine Hills for 16 years. I have literally watched entire basketball teams, state championship basketball teams, boys that know how to play, amazing athletes. I have sat through game after game after game where I looked over on the stands where the parents would normally sit and there not be one father in those stands cheering those little boys on. Sometimes I see a grandmother. Sometimes I see a single mom. Sometimes I'll see an uncle who's trying to stand in the gap. But boy after boy after boy that I have worked with in this, in this city has told me the sad truth. I don't even know who my dad is. My father's never been around. My father's never been involved. Some of those men live right here in this city. They don't send birthday cards, and they don't come over for Christmas, and they don't go see their kids in the hospital. And Listen, you say, does that really happen? You bet it happens. It happens all around us. And I've watched it, and I've seen it with disgust, thinking how in the world can you not have even the least connection to your child? That is not what God wanted. It's not what God wanted. I'm going to tell you something. Men in the room, be a dad to your children. Be a dad to your children. Be there. Be a key component. Don't be a missing element in your child's development. If you're divorced and you're not there in the home, you make sure you're there in that child's life. You make sure that you're involved. You make sure, I don't care what their attitude is. You say, well, I send them birthday cards and their mom sends it back. Keep sending it. Keep sending it. And when she sends it back, put it in a box and hold on to it. One day your child's going to seek you out, and when they do, you hand it to them. Let them know you tried. Don't give up. Don't give up. Do your part. And pay the bills and give your kids, give, give your mother of your baby the financial help that is required to raise a child. Anybody with me this morning? I know this is an uncomfortable topic. But it's epidemic. It's epidemic. It's a, somewhere in the corner, the devil's laughing because it is one of the great ways he has destroyed the foundation of our home. Now listen, we know this. We need to build a strong foundation. Let me give you these quick thoughts. Are you ready for these quick thoughts? Here we go. Number one, have a family prayer time. How do you build the foundation of your home? Have a family prayer time. Listen, we need to be people of prayer. People of prayer. Let me give you four quick things that you need to be praying about every day. Four things that every home should be praying for, especially mom and dad. Four things. Number one, pray for God's provision. That's that daily bread Jesus told us to pray for. Everything you have, every stitch of food in your closet, every clothing you own, every bit of this, the roof, God provides that for you daily. 
you say, well, you know, I'm paying on it, I'm making payments to the bank, but God's providing for you daily the ability to work or the ability to have funds. God is providing daily. Pray for God's provision every day. Number two, pray for God's power on your home every day. God, give me the power to be a good father. God, please give me the power to be a good mother. In that power, you're praying for discernment. You're praying for wisdom. You're praying for knowledge. All that's inclusive in this word power. So God's provision. Number two is what? God's power. Let me give you a third thing you need to be praying for. And everybody, give me this now. Here we go. Number three, God's protection against satanic oppression. Say that with me. God's protection against satanic oppression. Say it again. God's protection against satanic oppression. That old devil wants to ruin your home. He wants to destroy your kids. Listen, that devil wants your child to meet the school's drug addict. He wants your child to meet the school playboy, basically. Amen? He wants your daughter to meet that boy. That boy that'll hand you a grandchild and then disappear. He wants your daughter to meet that boy. You need to pray every day for God's protection against oppression. The old devil's going to bring your way things to just mess your home up. You need to ask God to protect you against the wiles of Satan who wants to destroy your home. You know, number four, for God's pardon in our daily sins. Now, we don't need to be forgiven that way to be saved. When we ask Jesus to save us, we become born again. But the Bible teaches us in the model prayer, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need to every day be praying that God forgives us of our sins and get those sins out in the open, confess them to God who is faithful and just to forgive them. He wipes them away. He puts them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. So what are those four things? What was number one? Pray for what? God's provision. Number two? God's power on your home. Number three? God's protection. You need it. Think about the story of Job. We need God's protection. God allowed Satan to have a clear shot at Job, took his hand off. Look at all the havoc Satan brought into that home. Thank God Job stood faithful, but I don't know that I could do what Job did. I, don't, I tell God all the time, God, don't let me be tested like Job. I don't believe I can bear it. God says he'll never allow you to carry more than you can, can bear. I say, God, just protect me from it. I don't want to find out how strong I am. God's protection. Hey, and then we need to say God's pardon. God's pardon. Now, we need a family prayer time. If you got it, say amen. Hey, that's not all, though. You want to build a good foundation. Number two, a family pew time. A family pew time. Hey, preacher, what are you talking about? Go to church. Get your family in church. Get your family in Sunday school. And don't stop short. Come on back Sunday night. Come on back Wednesday night. Why? Because we're teaching great things. It'll help your children. It'll help you. It'll help your marriage. It'll help your growth in the Lord. Hey, families need to be in church together. Go to church. Nothing can replace church. There is a substitute for it. People say sometimes, well, I don't go to church, but I go to this, or I go to that, or I go to the AA meeting, or I go to... Listen, there is nothing that can replace or should replace church. Well, I don't go to church, but I do like to go down to the park, or I sometimes sit and meditate, and and, you know, read some scripture and think about the Lord. That's all good, man, do that. But that does not replace church. Don't do that when you should be at church. Hey, picnics on Sunday, not going to build a foundation spiritually for your family. 
going to see sporting events on Sunday. Not the best place for your family to be. They ought to be in church. Going to the beach on Sunday. Listen, not the best place for your family to be. They need to be in church. Are y'all getting it or I need to keep going down this list? God deserves our Sabbath and our participation in it. You know what? Let me give you this too. When you come to the church, it's also got another name. It is the house of, say it, house of worship, but what I was looking for is, was the house of God. It's your father's house. It's your father's house. Say that. This is my You know what? Maybe you never thought of this before, but God needs to have some family time too. Now, God's given you six days to have family time. God wants to have a little family time with his children too. He wants you to come to his house, your father's house. You need a family pew time. Don't sacrifice what is best for your family for things that are just good. There's a lot of good things. I'm not against families going to the park or to the beach or to events, things like that. I think they're good. I think you ought to be doing that. And it actually is the next point. But you know what? The reality is when it comes to doing this in place of church, you have now sacrificed what was best on an altar of something that was just good. Something that's just good. Don't do that. That's just foolish. Let me give you a third thing quickly, a family playtime. A family playtime. You need to have a family playtime if you're going to build a foundation in your home that's going to be strong. We must spend time playing with our families. Game nights, pizza and movie night, vacations, fishing and hunting. Find activities and do them with your kids. Do them with your wife. Find things that you enjoy to do as a family. We've literally entered into this computer age of couch potatoism, where literally people would rather get into a house, separate into their own little space, and play on a phone all night long. I don't know where it's going to lead. I can't imagine it's going to lead anywhere good. I don't know what to do about it. We're not turning back the clock. We have to fight it. Every home's having to fight it. We've had to make all kinds of rules and regulations or else our home would succumb to this too. It's, it's hard. But I'm telling you, we're living in a world where people are drifting apart. They're not doing anything together and people are becoming antisocial. And as a pastor, I watch it. I see it. I'm watching more and more and more where church members don't want to have church activities. And you know when one of the main reasons they say church attendances are so down? Because people have so much more to do now to entertain themselves. I didn't realize church was there to fulfill an entertainment. I thought it was to fulfill an o- obedience. And I realized sitting at home and playing on your computer at night is fun, interesting, entertaining, but I didn't know we were competing that way. But apparently we are. People have given excuses that Back when churches were booming and growing, people just didn't have as much to do and people didn't have as much distraction and people didn't have but three channels on their TV and they didn't have you know, the entertainment that now they have hundreds of channels on their satellite and they've got a computer that's like a window to the world and they don't really have to leave their house to really entertain themselves. Shopping malls, you ever notice how empty they are now? Now when I was a teenager, man, shopping malls was the place to be. You didn't even have to buy anything. You just went there. We called it cruising. You just, all of us guys, we'd walk around and, and we would at least look at pretty girls. They never looked back, but we at least looked at them. And teenagers gathered, and, and I wasn't allowed to just go hang out, but sometimes a bunch of us friends would go out and get something to eat in the food court. And, and, and mom and dad always wanted to know we, where we were at and when we'd be home and who was going to be with us. 
But, but I remember the mall was considered to be a safe place, except my mom read an article one time about somebody that went into the mall bathroom, and somebody walked up behind them and gave them a shot, and then carried them out and abducted them, and they shanghaied them. From that point on, my mall days were very limited. But in any case, until that happened, it was a very safe place to go. Mom and Dad thought it was a you know, place if we all went together and we were in a group. I don't know what's happening, man. Now you see kids, they don't want to go out. They don't really have anything to do with their friends. They'd rather just stay home. They're in a room with the door shut. Their window to the world is a little, little black screen. And I think that as a family, you're going to have to combat this. You're, you can't give in to it. You're going to have to continue to try to do things. Don't let your kids just give themselves to that world. You need to plan things as a family and have family times and, 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 and do things. A family playtime. But while I'm on this, let me just throw this at you too. Men in the room, listen to me. If you're married, date your wife. Date your wife. Take her on a date. Listen, you don't have to spend big money. You don't have to go to fancy restaurants. Christy and I, sometimes, we just go over here and we've, we've gone through the drive through at Burger King and got burgers and just went and drove and just enjoyed being with each other and have, have had very inexpensive date nights. Listen, it's not about that. It's about spending time together without your kids in the back seat, without phones interrupting, spending time focusing on each other. Man, date your wife. Take her somewhere nice. Take her to a really, sometimes you got money, take her to a really nice restaurant. Get dressed up. Carry the tray for her to the table. All those things. Amen? That's what I call a nice restaurant, you know. Date your wife. Have a family play time. Play together. Play together. All right, number four, a family perspiration time. Perspiration. What do you equate perspiration to? Work. Hey, there needs to be work in the home. Chores divided up. Be a help to your wife. You know what? I'm going to say this, because it's just all of us in here. People are always trying to find out the secret to, I'm just going to say this, I'm just going to say it. People are always looking for the perfect aphrodisiac. You know what studies show is the number one, you know, you know what women list as the thing that gets them the most armorous? when their husbands help them with their chores? We think hours in the gym, looking good. You don't need to be doing this, you need to be doing this. Who'd have thought? Man, a woman comes home, and by the way, most of our wives are out there working as well, and, and a lot of them are, even a housewife has a lot of duties on her plate that are just every day, every day it's like it's been erased. I mean, listen, there's not a little towel fairy that comes in and washes towels, folds them, and puts them in the closet. Amen? Every day, it starts over. A lot of women are working, then coming home, and still carrying those, those burdens. Well, listen, kids help mom, and, and us men need to help our wives. Can we cut that part of it out? Because my wife's going to use this against me later. <laughs> Hit that pause You guys come home, and, and the, the, you know maybe you, you, you had uh, the kitchen might be a mess, and you know you get home before your wife does. Maybe she's out. Let me tell you something, man. You want a happy wife? Let her come home to a spotless kitchen. Heard about a... My wife's having a Holy Spirit revival over here. She's waving hands in church. Speaking of tongues, I think. But anyway, 
this one guy looked at his wife. They'd had a, a, a Valentine's evening together, and, and he cooked a big meal for him. And he got done. He said, honey, listen, I got another surprise. He said, you don't have to worry about the dishes or anything tonight. And she said, oh, that is so sweet. He said, yeah, you can do them tomorrow. They'll sit. They'll wait. Oh, man, I don't think that was going the way he thought it was going to go. But listen to me. I'm telling you, man, have work together in the home and split up works. Children need to learn to work. They need to learn to work. They need to, your kids need to learn to work. Now listen, some of you are at a place in life that you can hire everything out. Sometimes it's good to let your son mow the lawn. You say, well, he won't mow it right, but he'll learn to do it right. They're saying one of the big criticisms of the millennialist generation. I saw this the other day. They want to start a revolution. They can even start a lawnmower. A lot of them are helpless, and I'm going to tell you why. A lot of them are fatherless. They've never been taught how to mow a lawn. They've never been taught how to fix a car. They've never been taught how to change a tire. And usually with a single mom, it's just she's got to get other people to help or just pay it out. And our kids are not learning some of these things. Some of them don't know how to make a bed. They don't know how to... Listen, you're not helping your children. Teach them to work, teach them to work, teach them to work. And we need to be having works in the home. I'm almost done. We need to have a family punishment time. There must be rules and regulations. There must be rules and regulations. Let me give you a, a sixth one. A family praise time. Love, encouragement, appreciation, pride in them, support expressed often. You know, I, I gave this one after. There needs to be a family punishment time, but there's got to be a follow-up to this. There's got to be a family praise time. If you ever have to discipline your child, you better reinforce it with a lot of praise. You know how it is when your child makes you upset and you have to deal with that particular, and you sometimes can be upset, so you may overhandle it or you may overstate it. You might just vent for a minute. You're not meaning it to that degree, but sometimes that's what's done during the punishment time when your child's getting in trouble. Whether it's being grounded or when they're younger, you may be giving them a spanking or you may be putting them in the corner. Oh, Julian got some corner time the other day, didn't you say? Like, how did I get into this? Huh? Was it your fault? Well, Adriana says it was your fault. She brings me coffee and sandwiches. You brought nothing to the table, son. <laughs> nothing. You bring nothing. Whatever you discipline, whatever you do, but here's the reality. You've got to always back it up with some praise. Son, listen, I'm going to have to give you a whoop, and you know that. Remember when I used to trap you with the Word of God? Remember that, son? I'd say, son, did you do wrong? Yes, sir. What did God tell me I'm supposed to do? You tried to give me all kinds of other solutions, but I'd funnel you down to the right one, didn't I? But, son, I always tried to come in your room and sit on a bed with you, and we'd talk about it. I'd leave you in there to yourself a minute, then I'd come in there and sit down, and we'd talk, and I'd give you a big old hug. Remember those days? Yeah. Julian says, I want to get some more whoopings so I can get some more hugs. Amen. For every spanking this boy got, he got 500 kisses. And that girl right there, the same way. Remember when you dropped the pizza? Oh, it oh, was a dark day in our home. I promise you, for every angry word, and I'm not trying to brag, and I'm not trying to say I did everything right, but I am saying I came from a home with a lot of hugs and kisses. I came from a home where I heard a lot of, that's great, son, good job. I came from a home where for every whooping I got, I got 500 hugs. And by the way, getting the hugs gave my dad the right to give me the whooping. Rules and relationships 
I'm sorry, rules and regulations without a relationship equals resentment. You should write that down. I'll say it again. Rules and regulations without a relationship will equal resentment. Well, I spanked them. I wore them out. Did you give them the praise time afterwards? Did you go to them and say, son, you did wrong, but listen, I love you. Daddy's proud of you. And you're just going to learn this one thing. Just fix this. Get this right. I mean, are, are you the kind of parent, your, your kid brings home a report card and they got you know, four A's but one D and that's all you can focus on? You're going to see a resentment form in that child's heart. We have got to remember to give them the praise time. Give them the punishment time when they need it. There ought to be a lot of praise time. Son, that's great. Honey, you did great in that song. Listen, I was so proud of you when you sang in that choir. It's got to be there. Listen, it also needs to be there for your wife. You need to praise your wife. I've said this a lot. But I'm going to tell you, man, if you don't praise your wife, there's always somebody else willing to. You don't praise her beauty, she'll wonder if you think she's pretty. If you don't praise her things that she does around the home, her ability to be a mother, her ability to be a lover, her ability to be a, a provider in that house. You don't praise. Resentment can follow up. And wives, likewise, praise your husband. Find something good in him. I know for some of you women, that's going to be a big challenge, but hey. Find something to praise in him. Men need to hear that they're doing good. Little things matter. That reminds me about a woman that told me she married her husband. She said, I said, why'd you marry him? She said, I married him for his mind. I said, really? She said, yeah, you know, it's the little things in a marriage that really matter the most. Let me give you this, this last one here. We need a family protection plan. A family protection plan. Hey, you want to build a good foundation, have a family protection plan. We call this in the Bible having standards, convictions, they're there to protect the family. Who needs standards? Anyone that wants to do right. What are they? This is what a standard is. It's a self-imposed rule to govern the actions. It's not that the church enforces it. It's not that it's the youth director's job to enforce it. Preacher, Sunday school teacher. These are things that you study the Bible, you garner principles from the Bible, and then you create for yourself rules to guard and govern your life. Listen to me. A lot of marriages are destroyed because they had no principles. Let me give you a principle that I decided when I got married that I wasn't going to go run around with women that are not my wife. I don't meet women at restaurants alone. I don't counsel women at restaurants. Amen? If a woman called me and said, Preacher, I need counsel. Can you meet me at such and such restaurant? I'm going to say, No, but I have a beautiful office here. And why don't you come meet me here? And I even go a step further. I've had time where my staff have had to stay because maybe a lady needs to see me, and it's maybe after church, and it may be late. I've asked my staff to just stay around. Now, you say, preacher, do you have a bad marriage? I not a very good marriage. I'm just trying to keep it that way. Listen, more than one preacher has succumbed to temptation. I know that I'm not above that. Listen, if King David, who is 50 times better than I am, could fall to that temptation, I know that I need to be careful. You know what? Let me give you something. Here's a principle. God's more interested in you fleeing temptation than fighting it.
I have dating rules for my home. I would rather my, my daughter date with some rules that keep her from being in a situation where in the, the heat of that situation she has to make decisions that often the human mind cannot con- comprehend. It'd be better to kind of set this over here where she's in a, in, 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 in having some ways to keep her from getting in that situation. We've got to have a family protection plan. Who must enforce these standards? Well, parents and leaders teach them, but ultimately you must enforce them yourself. You must set rules for yourself, and as leaders of a family, you need to set rules for your family. These are bars that will protect them from a lion that seeks to devour them. You know, I have other things I want to say, but my time is gone. Let me have you bow your heads. These are things that if you'll put these to practice, you'll build a foundation in your home that when the winds come and the rains fall, you'll be built on a rock. When the winds of change come, listen, change comes to homes. Kids grow up. Adults mature. What we felt like when we met at 20, we mature as people. Interests change. There are marriages that are 50 and 60 years strong. And how did they make it? They built it on a rock, a rock of commitment. Kids change. What you do with your kids when they're little isn't necessarily what you can do when they're teenagers. And when they become adults, you can't handle them even the same way you did as a teenager. But if we build that relationship on a rock, it'll sustain those changes. I hope that you'll build a good foundation in your home and in your relationship. Is there anyone that could say, Preacher, 